Welcome to the city. My name is Brandon, one of the pastors here. And, um, you know, hope you guys had a, a good spring break. And, you know, my wife Jennifer and I were talking this week, like, what even is a spring break? You know, like if, if you're not a student or someone working in education, it's not really something you get to do. Um, you know, so it's just something you hear people talk about. And you're like, man, that'd be cool, right? So, this spring break, I decided to celebrate by taking a spring break from the gym, and it felt, it felt great, you know, and I might do it again next week. <clears throat> um, but we've been in the, in the book of Luke for a long time. If you have been here at all, you know, we go verse by verse, and we've been in the book of Luke for a while. We're continuing in that today, and just to kind of recap where we've been, Jesus continues to turn up the heat on the religious leaders of the day, preaching his message of the, the coming of this new kingdom and trying to straighten out some things where the Pharisees and the other, you know, scribes and religious leaders of the day are getting it wrong. And, and the cross is just around the corner. As again, he, he, um, he is relentless in his pursuit of, of God's people to, to, to show them a new thing has begun. A new era is upon them. The kingdom of God is here. And, you know, we choose to go verse by verse. We talk about this every single week, but we're going to continue to kind of pound on this thing. You know, we go verse by verse for a very good reason. We believe that's the best way to, to make disciples. We believe as followers of Jesus, if, if we're going to be faithful followers, we have to know what God's word says, right? We need to know what it says, apply it to our lives. We need to be becoming disciples of Jesus, making others disciples of Jesus. We want to be equipping you to disciple your families. I mean, what, what is the other point to, to being here, right? We want to worship God, yes, but we also want to know his truth. We want to apply it to our lives, and we want to change. We want to become more and more like Jesus, and so every single one of us today has a choice to make as we kind of start down this road today. All of you, I just want, right now, just, just make a conscious decision. Ask yourself, are you willing to hear from God today? Are you leaning in to him and asking him to speak to you and open to what he has to say? Or are you closed off? And so, so my, my prayer for us today is that we would have hearts that are open and ready to receive, even if... It conflicts with something in us, some, some truth we've, we've held on to. And this maybe especially if the truth of his word conflicts with something we think or something that we do or say, especially then are we willing to be open to what he has to say to us and be willing to change. If you remember a couple weeks ago, Clayton pulled off the impossible. He covered a whole chapter of Luke in one message. And so today, I'm covering three verses, uh, verses, not chapters. I'm covering three verses, and there is, you're going to be amazed. There's so much there, and I, I'm super, super excited to share it with you. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter uh, 16, starting in verse 16. If you don't have them, they'll be on the screen. And as always, the best way to follow along with the messages is through your city app, on message notes, you know, you have the verses, the quotes, all the points are there, fill in the blank stuff. It's a good way to, to kind of remember uh, and stay, stay plugged into the sermon, not drift off to sleep, you know. Uh, and also you can save them and, and email them to yourself for notes later. So it's pretty cool. Anyway, I asked Josh to come and uh, read the, the verses for us. Would you guys stand just in the honor of God's word? 
Well, I'm really glad it's only three verses, but um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh Hustaita. I am uh, blessed to call the city my church. I uh, serve in the media team as well as on the music team, and I'm involved with the young adults Bible study with Isaiah. But um, let us read. Until John the Baptist, the law of Moses, and the messages of the prophets were your guides. But now the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone is eager to get in. But that doesn't mean that the law has lost its force. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the smallest point of God's law to be overturned. For example, a man who divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery. And anyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Thank you, Josh. You guys can have a seat. All right. So let's pause for a second before we get into this. Let's remember what's just happened. Remember who he's, he's been talking to, right? If you missed last week, you should go back and watch. Amber did an awesome job just talking about those previous verses where Jesus was teaching about stewardship and how we should be good stewards, faithful stewards of the things that God has entrusted to us. And we should live for something more than earthly things. We should live for eternal things and, 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 He's speaking to his disciples, but as always, there are more ears around, right? It's the, the Pharisees. They, they always seem to be around, and they're listening in. And, and to kind of paint a little bit more of a context here, I'm going to back up a couple of verses that were covered last week, starting in verse uh, 14. So I, I guess I'm up to, you know, five verses. But um, we're going to look at the, all these verses Break them into four sections, and I'm going to give you four truths that we want to pull out of these. So, so back in 14... The Pharisees, who had listened to this teaching about stewardship and living for eternity, who dearly loved their money, heard all this and scoffed at him. Then he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. So, so the Pharisees are hearing all this and they are scoffing. They are sneering. The, the original language here, the word used is, is it literally means to turn your nose up at. It's not just like, man, I, I don't know if I agree with what he's saying. Like they outright have hatred of, of Jesus in their hearts. Like they, they are closed off to his message. Their hearts are just hardened to what he's saying. They hate him. But Jesus, as always, is not deterred by this. In fact, he leans into it yet again. He continues his full court press. I don't know if you're a basketball fan or if you know what a full court press is, but th this is where uh, a, 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 a defense will guard the ball for the entire length of the floor, not just by their own basket, right? So I don't know if you're, again, a fan of basketball, but I happen to watch a lot of junior high basketball, and uh, this happens quite a, quite a bit in this game of junior high basketball, full court presses. Both of my boys have gone to uh, Southcrest, and so they're part of, of TAPS. And I don't know if they, they must play fast and loose when it comes to the rules of ages, right, of different teams. We have a seventh grade team that's full of mostly sixth graders, but we play against seventh grade teams that are full of mostly full-grown adults, right? And it's ugly every single game. And we, we play this one team that the entire first half full court press we don't get the ball across half court. I don't know if you've been to a game like this, but it's hard to watch, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just layup after layup. We're down to this one team at halftime, 40 
to four, and they were still full court pressing us, right? And then I'm always stuck next to the mouth-breathing dad that's way too excited about my kids being humiliated, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's trying to pull me into sin, if you know what I'm saying. Like, nobody likes that guy. Don't be that guy. You know, like the guy, it reminds me of Karate Kid. You got Daniel and Johnny, and they're in the epic duel, but Daniel's hurt, he's on the mat, and you have Johnny's friend, that weird-looking, long-haired dude that's like, Loving it, right? And he's laughing like, put him in a body bag. You know, that guy. Like, don't be that parent in these games, okay? What am I talking about? I don't even know. Uh, Jesus. Jesus wasn't letting up. He was relentless. But remember, the Pharisees, they deserved it. They, They were leading God's people away from him. And so Jesus in a perfect balance of grace and truth, is kind of pinning them down here once again. He tells them, God knows your hearts. You, you, you want to look good in front of everyone else, but, but God knows your heart, and that is all that matters. Remember the rule. When Jesus in, in Scripture speaks to the Pharisees, he is also talking to us. Accountability before God, what, what your heart says about you, that's all that matters. And in fact, he goes further and he says, the things that this world values and honors, they are detestable to God. Other translations say they're an abomination before God. So this is something we we have to get right, right off the top. Like we all have to agree here before we move forward. The first truth I want to point at is the value system of this world is not the value system of God. They're, They're on two different playing fields. God's ways are not man's ways. His ways are higher. His ways are better. This means even if you don't, like we just said before, even if you don't agree, maybe especially if you don't agree, his word trumps yours. His word trumps your parents, your grandmama, the TV preacher. His word trumps them all. He is ultimate Truth And the choice we have is, will we accept the truth? The Pharisees have decided they will not. They scoff at him. And so then he goes on in verse 16. Until John the Baptist, the law of Moses, and the messages of the prophets were your guides. But now the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone is eager to Get in. So, so you had the, the period of the law and prophets where, where people, you know, God's prophets were prophesying about the coming Messiah. You had that era. And now you have the new era where the Messiah has actually come. And bridging the two, this is Luke pointing this out, bridging the two is John the Baptist. He kind of is the link between the two eras. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets and the one that's saying, listen, it has begun. The kingdom of God is here. This is the, the, the arrival of the new era, the fulfillment of all of these, these prophecies. And Jesus is saying, like, unlike you guys, Pharisees, everyone is eager to get into it, get into this, this kingdom. The, the translation of this little section has a lot of people disagreeing. There, there's some that translate it, they're, uh, uh, everyone is urgently invited to enter it. Every man presses into it. Everyone is forcing his way into it. Everyone is urged to enter it. Everyone tries to enter it by force. Everyone enters it 
violently. So, so the, 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 the point is the same. There's like all of a sudden uh, in this new era with the arrival of Jesus, there's an urgent decision to be made. Like this call to, to urgency. Like it's, it's time to decide what are you going to do with the message of Jesus? Entrance into this new kingdom isn't automatic. You, you, you have to make a choice. And the, the strong language about, you know, violence or eagerly wanting to, to, to get into, like, he, he's, it's also kind of pointing to entering the kingdom being a little bit difficult. Like, we don't do it through our own self-efforts, but it involves, you know, true repentance involves us laying down our will, our flesh, acting in self-denial. Take up your cross and follow me. Whoever loses his life will find it. Whoever finds it will lose it. This is not something that comes natural to us. In our pride, in our arrogance, <laughs> true repentance involves crushing our own pride and self to come to this, this place of total repentance and submission to him. So just like the Pharisees had a choice to make, every single one of us, we have a choice to make. And guess what? You've already chosen. This has been another theme of, of Jesus' teaching. Is that there's, there's no neutrality here. Like there, There's no fence sitting. You, you choose one way or the other. You either accept him or you deny him. There, there's no area, no room for, for gray, Right? So my question for you is, what have you chosen? H have you made the choice to follow Jesus or not? not? Not an intellectual decision. I'm talking a life decision that we just described, laying down yourself, your will. Not just trusting, trusting Jesus as your, as your Savior. We all want the Savior part, right? We want our sins to be forgiven. We want to go to heaven one day. But what about making him Lord of your life? See, that, that's where people get hung up. Is he Lord of your life. City truth number seven this week is number four. Can a person be good enough to go to heaven? Can a person be good enough to go to heaven? Here, here's the answer. Let's read it together. No, because Jesus rose from the dead, proving he is God I believe a person is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Remember, it's not through our own self-effort. It's only through faith in Jesus that he paid the penalty, right? He paid your fine. He, he, he paid the penalty for your sin, took it upon himself. He died as a sacrifice. Then he was risen from the dead. And now we have an opportunity to put our faith in what he did for us not our own self-effort, being good enough, trying hard enough, all that stuff, to start a relationship with him, make him Lord of our lives. So, so that's the, the second truth we have to get to is it's, it's decision time. It's decision time. It's time to decide. What, what is your decision? Have you made a decision to follow Jesus? Is he Lord of your life? If he's not, he can be today. All you have to do is make that heart decision to bow the knee before Jesus, make him Lord of your life. And his word tells us that our, our life gets to start over. We are spiritually born again. Your, your, your past, no matter what it looks like, 
No matter what you've done, it's erased. You're forgiven. And you can start a new life following Jesus. So the Pharisees, they've made their choice. And Jesus, you know, he, he's, he's telling them that, that basically that this new era has come, but that doesn't mean that the law has lost its force, right? Then he says, it's easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the smallest point of God's law to be overturned. So, so he's suggesting here that, that the Pharisees have been missing something. They've been misunderstanding something. You and I both, we misunderstand things all the time. If you're married, you know this happens quite a bit, right? Lots of misunderstandings. I, I say this almost every time we, we, I, I preach, but everyone's wrong about something. You are wrong about something. So, so how do we know where we're wrong? How do we find out where we are in error? We, we have to what? We have to study the truth. The truth, looking at the truth of God's word, is how we, we determine where we are in error. It's, it's, this is a, a great example I heard not too long ago when it comes to counterfeit money. How do they train people that work with money in the banking industry or whatever to, to, to spot the difference between real currency and counterfeit currency? Do they study counterfeits? No. No, they don't. The way they know a counterfeit is because all they ever touch is the real deal, true thing. And so what happens is then when they, they feel something that isn't quite right, doesn't feel right, doesn't quite look right, they, they have this little alarm that goes off, right? Like something's off here. That's the way our lives should look in, in, according to, to the truth of God's word. But by studying the real thing, then you know when you've been fooled or, or when there's a counterfeit there. But we have to know his word. We, we have to, to understand here what, what Jesus is saying. He's telling them Old Testament scriptures continue to, to, to reveal who God is, and it's still authoritative. But believers in the new era, believers in the new era are no longer under the old covenant. They are now under the new covenant. The, the Old Testament scriptures, the law and the prophets, it's a covenant where, under, under which Israel lived, and they point to the promise of Jesus. Now, Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to cancel it, right? We understand all that. We'll get into that a lot more here in just a minute. But he's saying a new day has come. And there, there are certain rules and regulations that no longer apply because Jesus has fulfilled them. But God's law still stands. It's still authoritative. He says... Even the small, like heaven and earth would have to pass away for even the smallest point of his law to be overturned. This is referencing uh, um, like, like something projecting like a horn. It's probably talking about like a seraph, like in, in the Hebrew text, a little seraph, a little mark that differentiates one letter from another letter. He's saying every single stroke of the pen still stands. It's still God's law. From, from cover to cover, it is true and authoritative. And we should still uphold it. The third truth, God's word is still the standard of truth. His words will not pass away. Jesus quoted from, from every section of the Old Testament. He, he gave validity to it. He honored it. And he's saying, listen, it, it still stands as his truth. And then Jesus seems to take a sharp left turn, 
right? You, you probably caught it when Josh was reading it earlier. He's talking about God's law and then says, for example, a man who divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery. Anyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, Jesus, how did we get from, from A to B, right? It, seem, it seems like he's just kind of gone off the rails. Like, let me just throw this in there out of nowhere. But, but there's a very specific reason that he mentions this. But it leads us to our, our, our fourth truth here. And that's the divorce is not God's design. It's not God's design. It, listen, I, I, we, we were talking, I, I know I'm standing in front of a crowd where half of you probably have experienced divorce or been a product of divorce and, and remarriage. And if, if you've been through divorce, you know how painful that is. And we have to, as painful as it may be, acknowledge that divorce is not God's design. If the, if the church is to take Jesus' teaching seriously, in the teaching of new, the New Testament, seriously, divorce has to be seen as an evil. It might be the lesser of two evils in, in your situation. I don't know what you've been through. And we also know Jesus and other places in Scripture, Paul, they, they give some allowances for a biblical divorce. We, we call them the three A's, abandonment, adultery, certain cases of abuse. Again, I, I don't know what you've been through, but, but if we're going to faithfully look at, at Scripture and the truth of God's word, Clayton talk, talks about it in these terms. We, we have to embrace the ideal, right? We, we strive for the ideal, but when, when we miss it, because we are broken people, we live in a broken world, there, there's grace, right? There's grace for the real. We know God can redeem any, any situation. I've seen him do it in, in my family. But it doesn't change the truth of what Jesus is saying here. But, but we can't miss why he's saying it. See, He's giving an example. He started that with for example. God's law still stands, right? Every letter of it, for example. And then he gives th this, this quoting from the law about divorce. See, God's law hadn't changed, but the Pharisees' application of that law had changed. It had changed a lot. The Pharisees had been abusing divorce laws. See, they wouldn't outright promote it, but they, they, they took God's law, and they, they, they twisted it, right? They had the written law, and then they had what they called the oral law or the oral tradition. And what would happen is, as time went on, and as, if there were questions or disagreements, they would, they would add to God's law with these, these oral laws, oral traditions. And this was one of them, kind of like a constitution, you know, making amendments. amendments. But the, the problem is God's word is not a constitution. So, so they're, they're already in error here. Jesus knew that they, they had kind of twisted the law of Moses. Moses' teaching in De Deuteronomy 24 that, that gave one allowance for divorce uh, for grounds of uncleanliness, right? This was kind of a, a little bit of a vague term. So what they did was they, they took that and broadened it out to its absolute widest meaning to where they could basically divorce their wives for any reason they wanted, Listen to this. this. This is documented. These are actual reasons why they, they would say it's okay to divorce your wife. One of them was being a poor cook. Ooh. Being disrespectful to her mother-in-law. <laughs> Failing to give her husband a son. This is my favorite one. Being less beautiful than another woman. 
Yo. That, that, that's, they, they, they basically took scripture and twisted it into something that fit what they wanted to do. Does this sound familiar to you? It happens all the time. And remember, the Pharisees were doing it, but we are the Pharisees. We contend to do this as well. So, so what does this mean for us? It means we have to guard ourselves against sliding into misunderstanding, misusing, misinterpreting, misapplying scripture. So we start with a question, and now hopefully we all agree on the answer to this, but is the Bible true? We all know to say yes, right, because that's the Sunday school answer, but when you look at your life, your decisions, the, the, the platforms that you stand on, your politics, do you really believe the Bible is true or not? It's either a yes or a no. And so I, I went, I, don't, I know I don't need to prove to you that the Bible is true, but I, I came across some things in my study that blew my mind, and I want to share it with you. We talked about the Old Testament prophecies. There's all these prophecies that, that point towards Jesus, right, and his, his return and him being crucified and resurrected and all the stuff. And so, so we're going to look at eight of them, right? Here's eight basic Eight basic um, prophecies about Jesus that he fulfilled. His time of his birth, where he was born, born of a virgin, betrayed, mocked, crucified, pierced, died with the wicked, but buried with the rich. So, so these eight prophecies, what are the, the mathematical odds? Very smart people did the math on this. What are the, the mathematical odds that one man would fulfill all of these prophecies that, by the way, were written about hundreds, even thousands of years before Jesus was born. Well, what are the odds? One in 10 quadrillion. Think about that. Think about what a one in 10 chance looks like. Like if I had these tickets and I marked on one, I had 10 in a hat and I was like, pick one, you know, blindfold yourself, pick one. Your, your odds are one in 10, right? One in 10 quadrillion Let's, let's, say, let's say we took a silver dollar and I put a mark on it and I was going to mix it in with 10 quadrillion other ones. They would cover the state of Texas two feet deep. Now imagine blindfolding someone and say, hey, go, go find the one, right? That's just for eight prophecies. How many prophecies did Jesus fulfill? Over 350 What about other prophecies in Scripture? There are 2,500 other, other prophecies throughout, throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament. 2,000 of those have already come to pass without error. 500 more still to come. What, what are the odds that from these ancient documents, 2,000 different prophecies would come to pass the way they have? The odds are 1 in 10 to the 2,000th power. That is a 1 with 2,000 zeros after it. God's word is true and it's accurate and it should be our standard of truth. But is it your truth? Where do you get your truth? You get it from sermons, podcasts, 
Maybe your own feelings or desires, maybe our culture, what sounds good to you, what feels good. See, see, our culture, even our churches, they're full of people that are doing exactly what the Pharisees were doing, taking scripture and kind of twisting and turning it and picking and choosing and making it somehow line up with their own evil desires to justify sin. It's happening. There's a movement in the church today to try to bend scripture into actually um, promoting or saying that God is cool with homosexuality and gender fluidity. They'll choose different scriptures that kind of line up with, with what they wanted to say and make it a case that scripture condones it, promotes it. And then they'll say that we are being inconsistent by picking and choosing different scriptures because there are things in the Old Testament that, that, uh, that Christians tend to ignore, like some of the, the ritualistic laws about not eating raw meat or pork or shellfish, uh, not executing people for breaking the Sabbath. We don't do that anymore. Not wearing garments woven with two kinds of material and on and on. And then we condemn homosexuality. So they're saying, listen, you're not being consistent because you're picking and choosing. And we, Christians who don't know our, our Bible very well, can start to be swayed by some of this. Like, I don't really know. Maybe the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. But see, we don't get to pick and choose. We need to understand how the Old Testament relates to the New Testament. What Jesus actually came to, to do and, and to fulfill. We have to make a distinction between God's moral law and his ceremonial law. This is real interesting stuff uh, from a, a Tim Keller article you can look up about, about the subject, but I'll share a lot of it with you here. Basically, the law given to Moses was made up of moral law, kind of the big 10, you know, but then there was also ceremonial law that related to the way they worship. Um, it was a comprehensive set of guidelines to make sure that the Israelites, that their behavior reflected their status as the chosen people of God. It encompasses, encompasses moral behavior, their position as a, a godly example to other nations, and systematic procedures for acknowledging God's holiness and mankind's sinfulness. So, so, so how sinful people are to approach a holy God, there's, there's a whole lot of rules and regulations uh, to, to do with that. But when Jesus came, he fulfilled that part of the law. So there's a lot of the law of the, of the, the, the Old Testament when it comes to ceremonial law that, that do not apply anymore because Jesus came to be that ultimate sacrifice when he was raised from the dead, that that veil in the Holy of Holies was torn in two. And he started a new era, a new covenant with God's people. But that didn't affect the moral law. The moral law still stands. The ceremonial law has been fulfilled. Here's how uh, Tim Keller says it. The New Testament gives us further guidance about how to read the Old Testament. Paul makes it clear in places like Romans 13.8 that the apostles understood the Old Testament moral law to still be binding on us. In short, the coming of Christ changed how we worship, but not how we live. God's moral law still Stands. So not only did, did Jesus validate God's moral law, like he's just doing here with just this one example of divorce, he, he takes it further in other teachings, other parts of scripture. He says, you've heard it said, right? And he points back to, to a moral law, don't murder. But he doesn't just uphold that, he takes it even further. But I say, if you hate someone in your heart, you've already committed murder. 
He, he makes it about a, a heart posture, not just an action, right? Don't commit adultery, but if you lust in your heart, it's the same thing. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I say if your enemy slaps you, turn the other cheek. He took everything further. Why? Because in this new area, this new era, God isn't just looking at your actions. He's looking at your hearts. So what's he trying to get across to the Pharisees? What's he trying to get across to us? Jesus did not change the law. He exposed the heart of the law. And as Christians, that's what we are to adhere to, to follow. Because like the Pharisees, again, we have this pull of culture on us that pulls us away from the truth of God's word. We have to fight against us, ourselves being fooled, misapplying, misunderstanding God's word. So how do we keep ourselves from being in error, from, from being pulled towards culture, from straying from the truth of God's word? Remember the world of counterfeit money. We, we, we recognize the counterfeit because we are ingrained, the, the truth is ingrained in us. Like we, we are in God's word. We know it so we, we can spot something that doesn't feel quite right, doesn't sound quite right. We have to beware of the counterfeit. And I'm telling you, it is everywhere. There are very well-known pastors and authors, names you would recognize, that are right now preaching and writing about things that do not line up with God's word. It's a problem. Just yesterday, I stumbled into this, this teaching. Is a, a pastor preaching at his church. This is how he describes himself. He's a gay, progressive Christian pastor slash author. Has a huge following on TikTok. Huge. This is from one sermon. That in the Garden of Eden... God, because he was afraid man would get too much understanding, too much knowledge, and become like him, deceived Adam and Eve. And the serpent came and spoke truth. That Jesus came as some kind of better, more open-minded version of this closed-minded, bigoted Old Testament God. That Jesus' message of repentance had nothing to do with turning from sin, but is literally translated as gaining more understanding. That truth is never absolute, but always evolving and adapting to culture. That following your truth, whether that be an alternate gender or homosexuality or any other sin, is equal to following Jesus. That not following your truth would be harmful to you, and so it would not equal following Jesus. Following your truth equals following Jesus. And that, that your polyamorous like uh, sexual relationships or homosexual relationships are holy in the sight of God. That's being preached to millions of people. We have to know the truth so that we can spot the counterfeit. Do you know the truth? Do you spend time studying scripture? Here's some challenges I have today, and then we're done. 
Versus seek the truth. Open your Bibles. Study it. You have to ask yourself, what does the Bible say? Whatever issue you're talking about in life, the Bible has an answer for it. What does the Bible actually say? That should be our first question about everything. Then what do the verses actually mean? And so not only what does it say, what do they actually mean? This is where you get to do some research, some study. One pastor, theologian I follow, his name is Skip Heidsick. He has five rules of hermeneutics. This is like the study of scripture. There's five rules. If you want to know what the Bible says about something, you can't just take one verse, right? Like, like we just saw one, you know, Jesus mentioning divorce and it's just very black and white, not, not taking into context who he was talking to, what they were doing and what scripture says elsewhere about divorce, right? The allowances and such and so forth. So, so it's very, very easy and tempting to take one scripture and kind of run with it and hijack it and make it say whatever you want it to say. So he has these five rules where, where every scripture has to be interpreted in the midst of its original context and purpose according to the other words in the, the sentence, like verb meanings and stuff like that. In light of grammar, how certain words are related to other words. In light of historical background, customs, culture again. And also in light of other verses, other scripture. Like what does the Bible have to say about this subject in other places throughout the Bible? And you, you look at all that together and you start to come up with a clear understanding of what scripture is trying to say. So how do we, how do we know what it actually means? We, we seek godly counsel. This, this comes in the form of maybe pastors you can ask questions to, people that just know scripture more than you do. You, there's all kinds of commentaries online. You can search for, you know, a lot of smart people have studied the original text and the original language and meanings and stuff and kind of give you a good understanding. So some people we follow, me personally and, and Clayton and some of our staff, Tim Keller, we just read one of his quotes, Skip Heidsick. Dwayne Grudem's another one. We, we study his, his, this giant book about theology. There's a podcast called The Bible Thinker. Uh, Mike Winger, he's a theologian that, that just literally talks about how to think in terms of what scripture actually says about everything in your life, even the most mundane details. You can submit a, a spiritual question on our app. Clayton will answer it for you. But listen, be, be careful who you listen to. All truth isn't created equal. And we are all beholden to the truth. Anything that comes out of any person's mouth has to be held against the truth of scripture. Romans 3, 4, let God be true and every man a liar. Ultimate truth comes from his word. So we have to seek the truth and then we have to hold to it. Hold to the truth. Hold to the, to the truth. Don't be swayed by culture because that's easy to do. It's all around us and sometimes it even feels good and compassionate and like, you know, whatever, whatever it is, there, there's, there's this draw on us to slide, to drift towards culture and what they say is important. But remember Jesus just said, those things are detestable to him. His ways are not culture's ways. We have to dig our feet in and on purpose refuse to move from the, the, the truth of God's word. His ways are always counter-cultural. We can't be swayed by friends or family. This is a tough one. 
regardless of their choices, life choices, their, their opinions about things, their lifestyles, regardless of any of that, it cannot affect our view of truth, our standard. But then we have to speak the truth in love. We, we don't get to just lob truth grenades, right? And blow people up. We don't get to stand on street corners yelling and screaming about how people are going to hell. We, we have to do what Jesus did and that's speak the truth in love because he was that perfect mix of, of grace, full of grace, full of truth. We gotta have grace, but we can't waver from the truth. We have to be in the world, but not of it. So my question for you, what's, what's God saying to you through all this? You know, we, this isn't just about feeling bad about yourself for a second and asking God to forgive you, you know. We wanna be challenged and we wanna apply the things that we hear. We wanna apply truth to our lives. And, and what is God speaking to you maybe that needs to, to be tweaked in your life? Have you drifted? Do you know his word? Do you, do you have a passion for scripture? Like, God, I wanna, I wanna know your word. Did you, do you have this desire, like, like Romans 12 talks about, to, to have your mind transformed? This is where transformation comes from when your life was this and now it's this. It comes from this process called sanctification, whereby which you study scripture, you spend time with God, and God changes the way you think. Paul says it, the renewing of your mind. You're replacing your, your sinful, selfish thoughts with God's truth. And it starts to, to work its way out of you from the inside out. And over time, you, you look more and more and more like Jesus. Are you being transformed? Would you bow your heads with me? I just want to pray for us as we, we close and just ask God to speak to you in this moment. There, there's truth here for all of us. Ask God to, to reveal your heart. Do, do you really believe God's word is true? Not, not just in word, but in action. Does your life testify to the fact that you believe God's word, every letter of it is true? Is it truly your standard for truth? Do you need to up your, your study of scripture? Do, do you need to pray that God would give you a hunger for, for the the daily bread of the word. What is it that informs your, your stances on issues? Like, is it, is it politics? Is it a political party or is it God's word? Do, do you truly turn to God's word to know how to think and feel about abortion or discrimination or homosexuality or gender? Parenting, marriage, money what it truly means to love someone. Are you filtering every thought and action through the truth of scripture? Or do you like to ignore certain parts of scripture or maybe 
tempted to take things out of context. God, we, we ask that for each one of us that, that you would just nail down in this moment. Don't, don't, don't let us squirm out of this, this, this moment with you. I pray that you would just nail down in each one of our spirits something that thing in us that maybe you, you have your finger on that, that we need to surrender to you, to submit to you, to, to make obedient to the, the word of God. Father, we, we want to be obedient to you. We, we don't want to just hear and not do. We desperately, God, desperately need to have a better understanding of who you are and what your kingdom is like and the things you think are important, God. Make our thoughts your thoughts. And I pray that we would be intentional about that process as we spend time with you. We make sure we're, we're hearing truth from the right sources. So God, ultimately, we just, we wanna be faithful to you. We want our kids to grow up with a right understanding and never be tempted just to, to get swept away with culture and then try to backtrack and make scripture somehow make, you know, match our, our, our evil desires, our own sin. God, convict us as we stand on your word.